Our first reading today from God's Word is the story of Jesus uh, and his friends, Martha, Mary, and their brother, Lazarus. It's taken from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, and can be found on page 127 of the New Testament in your pew Bible. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together.
Shine your light on us, O Lord, that the meditations of our hearts together might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No offense, but uh, this whole sermon is based on the premise that there's something missing in your life. I don't mean something you lost, by the way, like I do pretty much every day, my keys, my cell phone. I'm talking about the feeling that you've got things in your life pretty much the way you wanted them to be, and still it doesn't feel quite complete. It's not quite right. There's something missing. That one final ingredient, that one last thing, the paprika, the pepper, the salt, that's going to make that good soup perfect. The last piece of the puzzle. You know, when COVID started almost three years ago to the day, our family thinking we'd have to figure out something to do to pass the time for two or three weeks, however long the pandemic was going to last, bought ourselves a few puzzles. Uh, Sarah and the kids got into it for a few days, and then they, they moved on to other things. They're healthy, balanced individuals. I was obsessed. I can spend hours doing sort of that kind of work, and I loved doing it, and so I stayed up all late into the evening, on into the early morning, doing these three puzzles, one puzzle harder than the next, Big out there spread out on our dining room table. No dinners at the dining room table when it's puzzle time. We had one puzzle, a beautiful, majestic hot air balloon. We had another puzzle of London Bridge, and then finally, the hardest one, this flower, which was just a repetition of the same pattern over and over again. It wasn't easy to solve, but I spent hours and hours enjoying myself, pondering these problems, fixing sections that others didn't have the patience to figure out. And I made, if I do say so myself, incredible progress. Our dining room table blossomed with color and vivaciousness and ingeniousness Except, not one of those puzzles was satisfying for me, not one, because somewhere along the way, with each one of them, somebody knocked at least one piece of the puzzle onto the floor, and like my poor meatball, seemed to have rolled right out the door, because it either got swept up or sucked up or eaten by a dog, or I think irresponsibly discarded by someone who didn't understand the importance of the last piece of the puzzle. And I'm not looking at her for any reason. It's just completely random. Coincidence. There is no sense of satisfaction or completion, no matter how many hours you put in, if there is a puzzle piece shaped blank space in any puzzle. And I had three of those puzzles. You think a pandemic is bad? Three straight puzzles where you don't have the last piece is pretty bad, too. Today's story from John chapter 11, the famous story of Lazarus and his two sisters, is that last piece of the puzzle. 
If you're ever going to understand the Gospel of John, which is its own separate thing, it's nothing like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we need to know that Lazarus is that last piece. Remember the story with me. Mary and Martha live in Bethany. They're some of Jesus' closest friends, according to John. They send word to him, the bad, sad news that their brother Lazarus is very, very sick, unto death. Please come. They beg him through the messenger. Hurry, he's sinking fast. But Jesus, their friend, lingers, takes his time. And when he finally does get there a couple of days later, Lazarus is already deceased. He has, as Monty Python said, ceased to be. He's been buried for four days by now. He's gone. We've lost him, O Lord. They both, sisters say, if you had just been here, our brother would be alive. Now think about the emotion in those words. The frustration, the anguish, the anger. To read this text, like so many biblical texts, we've got to import regular human emotions into the words and thoughts and feelings of human beings, right? Oh, Lord, if you had just been here, our beloved brother would still be alive. Everybody is sobbing, everybody is mourning and wailing, and Jesus sees Mary, his friend, weeping. And Jesus, as we talked about with the kids, reacts like you would and like I would. He begins to cry, too. Jesus wept. Jesus begins to cry. The shortest verse in the Bible. It's fascinating that John, in his gospel story, his story about the Word made flesh who comes to dwell among us recognizes the reality of pain and death even in the life of the divine presence who in John's gospel always knows who's thinking what. Never, ever, would never be baptized by John the Baptist. In John's gospel, no no one ever is in any kind of superior position to Jesus. And yet, in John's depiction of this story, Jesus experiences the reality and pain and frustration and anger and grief that come with being a human being, and he shares it with his friends. He experiences it with them. You know, that's what the word compassion means, suffering with. Con, with, passion, suffering. Jesus has compassion, and he cries. He shares, in the, we, we know just in this little moment, He shares what we humans really experience, what Martha and Mary experiences. Joy, annoyance, beauty, fatigue, frustration, anger, contentment, and not too much longer in the story, even death. So he's compassionate. But Martha and Mary, his friends, are still furious and angry with him and disappointed in him. And then with everybody sad and everybody still mad, Jesus goes over to that cave-like tomb, a foreshadowing, an adumbration, if you will, of a tomb we're going to see in a couple of weeks. And he says loudly, roll away the stone. And Martha, always the realist, protests, but Lord, really? He's been in there for four days. By now, there's going to be a terrible odor. Another amazing thing, reality. I love the smell of reality in the morning. It smells like Easter victory, right? It's a little Apocalypse Now reference. Don't laugh, it's not funny. 
Lazarus John wants us to know is really, really dead. He's been in there four days. It's starting to stink. Just like the mayor of Munchkinland says to Dorothy, as the mayor of Munchkin City in the county in the land of Oz, I welcome you most regally, but we've got to verify it legally to see if the wicked witch is morally, ethically, spiritually, physically, absolutely, positively, undeniably, and reliably dead. Lazarus, like the witch, is dead. I know I'm, I'm belaboring the point, but it's important. He's not just asleep. He's not in a coma. He's not bored of a sermon. He's out. He's completely gone. This story in John 11 is about death, which is something none of us wants to talk about, unless you're in my line of work. Even I, even people like me, we don't really want to talk about the reality of our own death. Because all of us on this planet who've ever lived are terrified of death. I heard the story of a guy who was on a business trip to a new city. He'd never been there before. And when he caught his Uber from the airport on the way uh, into town, he figured he'd ask the Uber driver where a, a good restaurant would, he could find a good restaurant. So he leaned forward and he just tapped the driver gently on the shoulder and he said, excuse me. And the driver of the Uber let out a blood-curdling scream, lost control of the car, almost hit a bus, jumped the curb, and almost, ironically, ran right into a very popular restaurant. For a few moments, there was just dead silence, only the sound of two hearts thumping like bass drums. Finally, the Uber driver turned to the passenger and said, man, you scared the living daylights out of me. And the passenger, pale as a sheet, eyes as big as dinner plates, said, man, I'm sorry, I didn't realize just tapping you on the shoulder would scare you like that. And the Uber driver said, oh man, it's not your fault, it's me. This is my first, first day driving an Uber. For 25 years, I've been driving a hearse. We fear death, do we not? And what we fear, we deny. We avoid. Four friends were having their weekly breakfast, long-time childhood friends, always met at the same diner every week. And the conversation amongst these four intimate friends came around to the subject of death, and one of them, kind of musing, said to the other three of his friends, what would you want people to say about you at your funeral? And the first friend thought for a second and said, I would like them to say that he was a great humanitarian and cared about his community. The second guy said that I was a great husband and father, an example set for many. And the third friend said, at my funeral, I'd like him to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> we, deny, we deny it, right? We just avoid it. Even in the church, with the symbol of death as the center, centerpiece and symbol of our own faith, we deny it. Our whole society, in fact, religious and secular, is set up to sell us on the fiction that death doesn't exist, really, and we keep buying it. Our government even buys it. Some years ago, uh, I clipped a story from Irma Bombeck. Anybody remember Irma Bombeck? You have to be of a certain age. I love Irma Bombeck. And a letter appeared in her column that was sent to a deceased person by the Department of Social Services. The letter read as follows. Your food stamps will be stopped in March because we've received notice that you have passed away. 
may God bless you. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. It's funny, death, actually it's quite hilarious, because like most good humor underneath is the real existence of pain and confusion and anxiety and even fear, certainly sadness. This is a sad story today that we're reading. Most of it is quite sad. In 1981, the year I graduated from high school, Will Lee, not Willie, Will Lee, the actor who played Mr. Hooper on Sesame Street, died. How many of you remember Mr. Hooper? Yeah, those of us of a certain age, there were, I forget who came after him, but Mr. Hooper was the first store owner. Um, and I grew up with Mr. Hooper, as many people did. Uh, and in the carefully planned, child-friendly first episode of Sesame Street, without Mr. Hooper, Big Bird walks on, to cam on set and says to all the rest of the cast members there, I just drew pictures of all of you grown-up friends of mine here on Sesame Street, and I'm going to give each of you now the picture I drew of you. So Big Bird starts passing out the sketches he's made to each of his fellow cast members, and each of the cast members oohs and ahs over the likeness and how wonderful Big Bird is drawing. And finally, Big Bird is left with just one sketch, Mr. Hooper's picture. I can't wait until Mr. Hooper sees it, says Big Bird. Say, where is he? I want to give it to him. One cast member explains, Big Bird, don't you remember? We told you Mr. Hooper died. He's dead. Big Bird says, oh, yeah, I remember. Well, I'll give it to him when he comes back. Another cast member gets up from her chair and gently touches Big Bird on the shoulder and says, Big Bird, Mr. Hooper's not coming back. Why not? Big Bird asks innocently. Why not? Why can't Mr. Hooper come back? Why can't your loved one come back? Why can't mine come back? This is another amazing thing about this text. The reality and the emotions of human loss and death pervade these words. Mary says to Jesus first, and then her sister Martha followed up. They said the exact same sentence. Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But now he's gone, and there's nothing anyone can do. It is, as they say, what it is. We love you, Jesus, but thanks a lot for taking so long to get here. And Jesus lets her feel her feels, her emotions. He takes it. And then he says, Martha, only believe, and you will see the power of God. It's a graphic and dramatic story. It's a great image in several of the Jesus movies. Lazarus rising from the grave. But even more importantly, it's the last piece of the puzzle that John is building for us in his gospel, uniquely. Another term for the gospel of John, the fourth gospel, the different gospel, another term is the book of signs. What do signs do? They point to things, right? 
John's Gospel is the book of signs, and there are eight signs. There is the changing of water into wine, healing the royal official's son at Capernaum, healing the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida, feeding the 5,000. He gets things done, mostly good things. But something John, the author, knows is still missing. Because you need the final piece of any puzzle for that puzzle to come together and have the higher meaning it's intended to have, the artistic expression, the moment, the emotions. The last piece of any puzzle represents the moment of invention where all those little steps you've taken along your journey of puzzle assembly or of life, all those little pieces, all those ingenious, confusing, maddening, frustrating moments, those little strangely cut pieces which you thought you'd never get together when they finally bring you to a new creation, a new realization of beauty, of your abilities, of, uh, of the accomplishment of a task. The last sign, the most important sign, the last piece of the puzzle in John is the raising of Lazarus. It's John's last crucial piece because he wants us to see that in Jesus, the power of death to separate people from God, to frighten us, to control us, is reduced to nothing simply by being close to the presence and the power of the living God in Jesus. There are two very real powers in John's worldview, as depicted in his gospel. Death, very real, and life, God. Death is all that is not of God. Life is all that is God, right? They're both very real, just one's more real than the other. Lord, the, lo the one you love is sick, they say at the beginning of this text. You say that about so many people in our world today, but not just people. Our whole world, you could say, is sick. Anger, violence, polarization, people being dismissed, people dividing, people being hurt in so many different ways, the dehumanization of enemies, of people who think differently than other people, hunger, homelessness, economic injustice, all it goes on and on. There, is, there are so many things that point to death, that reflect death. This world is desperately broken and in so many ways separated from God's presence. Lord, the one you love is sick. This world you love is sick. Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, we know the Messiah is coming one day, but right now, we don't know what to do. And Jesus says in this text, in this story of Lazarus, I am he. I am the resurrection and the life. That's the final piece of the puzzle. That Jesus doesn't give us, just give us good advice or isn't just a good example for us. He, in his own person, is the presence of God. I can't prove it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I, he says, am here. In Jesus Christ, the world meets the power of the love of God incarnate. And that's the last piece of the puzzle. Raymond Brown, the amazing 
Johannine scholar, the scholar of the Gospel of John that I had the privilege of studying under when I was in seminary, this great Catholic uh, biblical scholar said, the real marvel is not simply that Jesus can restore the dead to life in the story of Lazarus, but that Jesus can give a life right now that is impervious to death. To be in his presence is to be filled, to be provided with that abundant life that you were meant to have, that sense of peace and contentment, of being complete, having every piece in place. That's what he does for us. And as we are on the cusp of a tough week, Holy Week is meant to be hard so that Easter can be a real celebration. Some of you have heard me say that we were in seminary, my very liberal progressive seminary, which I loved. Uh, back in those days when we sang Amazing Grace, they, they thought that the word wretch was kind of offensive and made people feel badly about themselves, so they would replace it with soul. But a few of us would be in the back every time when we sang it in chapel, we would yell, wretch! Because if, it's, we're not a, if we're not a wretch, the grace isn't that amazing, right? Amen.